Welcome aboard, everybody, to another episode of the State News Podcast. My name is Casey Harrison, and I am excited to announce a change in the show. Oh, yeah. Um, if you're hearing that voice, that is our lovely Features Desk Editor and Basketball Beat Reporter, Connor Clark. He will be replacing Stephen Olshansky. Um, Stephen was let go earlier yesterday morning. Um, he was escorted out the door by security after some uh, difficulties in the newsroom. And it's always tough to see Steven, a, a longtime friend of mine, go. But that's how the that's how it works in this business. Um, it, I, I love the guy to death, but when it comes down to behavioral issues, you just can't do that. Business is business. Um, like I said, I, I wish Steven the best in all of my future endeavors or in all of his future endeavors. But he'll he'll find a way. I'm sure he will. Um, all joking aside, he's taking the day off. Um, not really, but he, he went to go across the state to cover multiple different stuff um, for our election coverage, so kudos to him. And let's get into it. Uh, so we have a show for you today. We're going to talk a little bit about the Heisman um, race right now. It's between four people. And I went home last weekend to watch uh, that atrocious MSU versus Illinois game. And when I was home, uh, being from Sterling Heights, Metro Detroit, you get a lot of people that root for... Um, Michigan, even though they don't go there, and that's their prerogative. That's a that's a story for a different uh, time. But on the other note, I got the northern suburbs of Chicago feel. I mean, I half of my high school goes to Illinois, so a lot of them were jumping up and down about it. You know, it's kind of odd to see that MSU still gets some respect in the world, probably from previous years when this year is just a complete debacle. Yeah, and I was talking to one of my friends. Um, he's not really a college football aficionado by any means, but he he watches the game. He's fluent enough. And he asked me what I thought about Jabril, he- or Jabril Preppers for Heisman. Uh, Jabril Preppers, wow, that's a, that's a mouthful <laughs> of a name. Jabril Peppers. Um, he can do it all for U of M. And, I mean, you saw he returned the, uh, the weird two-point conversion for uh, safety against, U- or against MSU. And he also scored a touchdown, I believe, in that game. And he's good, but I'm going to tell you why he's not exactly fit for Heisman. Yes, he can play defense, he can play offense, he's on special teams, but that doesn't mean that he he's fit for Heisman. And I'll I'll give you some numbers and let me tell you if this sounds exceptional, if if this is Heisman worthy. On the defensive side of the ball, he gets three and a half sacks on the season, fifty-three tackles, thirty-three of them solo, and thirteen and a half tackles for loss, seven quarterback hurries Zero interceptions and zero pass breakups. Those are good numbers, right? I mean, they're definitely solid from a defensive standpoint. I, I mean, he's all over the place. When you see him in there, he's always getting his hand in somewhere, but I don't necessarily see him stand out wise defensively. He doesn't really control the game. I mean, it's kind of hard on the defensive end. That's why we usually see the Heisman from the offensive side because you're a little more involved. Defense, you can throw away from him. So clearly his defensive numbers aren't really indicant enough of him being Heisman worthy. And now they're good, but... First of all, they don't even lead U of M defensively, and which means he's not leading the Big Ten in anything. He's not leading the country in any defensive stat. And as far as his offensive numbers go, I mean, he's only had 17 rush attempts, 158 yards total rushing, three touchdowns, and he averages well, 16.7 yards a game when he does rush. Um, and then when he receives, he's only gotten two reception this two receptions this year. Um, 15 punt returns for 257 yards, and he averages about 
17.1 yards per return in that stat. But that's still nothing eye-popping. It's good, and I'm not taking away from his athletic ability. He's a tremendous athlete. He's going to be a star in the NFL when he leaves. And I want to compare it to the other guys that are in the races. Specifically, I mean, you got guys like Lamar Jackson. Lamar Jackson, I think, is without a doubt the Heisman winner. I mean, he does it all. Look at these numbers. He's got over 1,000 yards rushing already. He's got 1,341 yards rushing. He averages 7.3 yards per rush. He has 19 rushing touchdowns, and he averages 131 yards of rushing per game. That's only on one side of the ball, and he's the quarterback. I mean, what I get, the Peppers debate of what I understand is, I mean, he gets his hand everywhere, but I think a lot of it's just the team. When you get, you know, Harbaugh, you get all this, you know, attention, you, you know, you're, you're winning games, you're blowing out teams, and naturally they're going to look for you, and there's got to be one standout, and since he plays all sides of the ball, he's the guy you see. I mean, they play a good team game. Everyone on that team contributes, so it's kind of tough for him. And Lamar Jackson, I mean, ever since that loss to Deshaun Watson, you know, down in Clemson, I wouldn't say necessarily people forgot about him, but clearly he's the best fit for it. Sure, he might not always play the best competition, but even against Clemson, he put up good numbers. I mean, there's a lot of turnovers in that game. I'm still not convinced to where if that receiver just lowers his shoulder, gains that extra yard for that first down, I, there's no doubt in my mind Lamar Jackson's finding a way in the end zone and winning that game. Oh, yeah. I, I believe they win that game. They beat Clemson. They're probably in the college football playoff right now um, as it stands. But even on his passing side of the ball, I mean, when I, when I look at a Heisman, when I think Heisman, I want to see eye-popping numbers. And that's the thing that Jabril Peppers doesn't offer. He's very good. He's very well-rounded. But he doesn't stand out in the sense that he's a megastar. And when you look at Lamar Jackson's numbers, he has a 165 efficiency rating, a 59% completion percentage, and he's almost passed for 3,000 yards already. The season's not even over. 26 touchdowns, and he averages 306 yards passing a game. Like, the dude can do it all. He can pass the ball. He can run the ball. And that's he's single-handedly carrying Louisville right now. Yeah, first quarterback ever to rush for over 1,000 yards in Louisville history. There's still a couple games left. I mean, if people want flash for Heisman, that's, I mean, stop right there. He's got it all. I mean, two plays against Clemson, they had him dead to rights on a sack, felt the pressure, tiptoed around it, and found a way to pick up the first down. The guy is just absolutely tenacious when it comes to it. He just finds a way. Every time he's hit with adversity, things like that, he always finds a way to eke it out. And you even got guys like Deshaun Watson for Clemson. Um, I don't, he, he's, I looked at the numbers today. Um, the poll that I saw on ESPN is, he and Jabril are roughly tied um, in terms of votes. And I, I think Deshaun, he, he, his eyes or his numbers are a little bit more eye-popping, um, but not nearly at the level that Lamar Jackson's are. And a guy that's really kind of stood out to me is Jake Browning, uh, the quarterback from Washington. And I think a lot of that is the fact that I'm surprised is because I don't really watch Washington because they're out on the West Coast. They don't get that much exposure, especially out, uh, out East. Um, but, yeah, I mean, the dude's completing almost 70% of his passes, and he's got just a boatload of touchdowns. He's got 34 touchdowns. Um, I, I, I think even that merits more than Jabril Peppers. And yeah. that's not just me being, like, an MSU butt boy. It's not me being a fanboy and saying, oh, he goes to U of M. Obviously, he's not qualified. No, it, it's just the fact that there's definitely two guys I can think of. I, I don't really know about Deshaun Watson, but – those guys, Browning and um, Lamar Jackson, are definitely, I would say, better candidates for the Heisman. 
I mean, I still give a lot of respect to Deshaun Watson. The guy's an overall playmaker as well. I mean, you got an undefeated club, like undefended, yeah, undefeated. There we go. Whoo, long morning already. You know, you got, you know, Clemson's rolling pretty well. Just turnovers kill you. And I know a lot of people are thinking about him maybe being the first quarterback out of the draft, you know, for the lower teams coming through. And, you know, that's the thing I'd be worried about once he hits the NFL is, you know, the game speeds up with everybody. You know, the funnel keeps going and he's going to face that talent. But right now at college, he's doing a great job, but he's still turning the ball over a little too much to my liking. And, yeah, Jake Browning's a, I mean, he's a great QB. He finds the right spots to throw, and it's kind of nice to see Washington, you know, over the last draft. They had a lot of draft picks go through, and you're like, who's this guy out of Washington? Like, what kind of players does Washington get? Well, finally, you see them actually come together, and now they're winning games. I mean, it kind of reminds me of MSU years ago when they started to win games, and people were like, well, I mean, they were never good in the past. Why should we believe in them now? Yeah, that's another thing about Lamar Jackson. I hope he doesn't really take effect. He doesn't go through the Mike Vick effect or the... um, uh, oh, God, it's blanking. Um, I was thinking about that quarterback from Michigan, Denard Robinson. That's who it is. Um, they were so overhyped, and they – I mean, Mike Vick had a good career for his first few seasons, and then after he went to jail, it kind of just went downhill. Right. But That's what happens to you. He was, he was so – he was a highly touted runner, and that's what he was known for, and that's kind of what Lamar Jackson is known for. But Jackson has an arm. I just don't know if he can keep up with NFL-style defenses – and be able to put up these same types of numbers. I mean, we're starting to see a little more as kind of a whole trend in sports, or more athletic-type bodies. We see less people more on the mental side of the game where you get, you know, people who might not be as flashy, but they kind of make the right plays. But I see now, especially in offenses, you know, watching Monday Night Football yesterday, you had two running quarterbacks. You know, they found a way. You got Russell Wilson, Tyrod Taylor. They were going blow for blow back and forth. I didn't even think it was going to be a great game. It turned out to be a fantastic game. But we kind of see... A little more wildcat in there, a little more option-type plays, kind of more college style. So I think, you know, when it comes down to it, I mean, he can still throw the ball, which I always have to rely on. So, I mean, I think that they'll be just fine. I mean, the NFL's a different ringer. So traditionally, you kind of like the guy, you know, Jake Browning, who can, you know, step up there and, you know, throw the ball and, you know, make high-end completions because there's always a spot for you. Alex Smith has been the, like, you know, premier spot of you might not have the greatest numbers, but you don't turn the ball over, you get a high you know, completion percentage, you get the ball to your athletes. And I think, you know, that's kind of the way to do it. You know, when you got guys on the outside that can help you out and who are speed, just get it to the speed, let them do their thing. Yeah, and uh, with all that being said, I, I, you and I, we're not sightseers, we're not psychics. So even though I, I might have a crystal ball right here, it's just a bottle of water, um, I can't see into the future. And hey, if Jabril Peppers gets the Heisman, good for him. Um, but when we come back, we're going to talk a little bit about that disappointing Saturday game of you had to spend two hours of your life uh, watching that game. I apologize. But, yeah, we'll get into that later. New sports podcast, Casey Harrison here. Stephen Olshansky no longer with us. He was suspended. And Connor, Connor Clark is here with us. Holding and it down without you, Steve. We're, we're going to talk about this MSU football team. Um, seventh loss in a row. Sixth loss in the Big Ten. Worst start to Big Ten play in school history. Um, I, I just want to know, one of the biggest questions that D'Antonio will probably be asked about today in his press conference is how does a team go from the college football playoff, the premier postseason push, and then they fall 
and fall so hard so fast. So what went wrong? Um, I mean, it's one thing to sort of cop out and say, well, you lost three guys on your line, you lost your quarterback and receiver. Clearly those are big blows, but you've got to think you've had enough years of program success and enough years under D'Antonio that you should be, you know, replenishing guys. And, you know, I sit and I watch this team. I just scratch my head half the time over all the different times where, you know, there's different miscues or just dumb penalties. So many times there were finally mountain drives. I remember watching end of the first half. They had 11-1 to 1 advantage in first downs, and then they give up that rushing touchdown right before it. It killed me. The, you know, they get all the way down there, or, the, you know, they finally start to move the ball, and they do something stupid, and they, you know, whether it's coughing it up or, you know, getting a stupid penalty, long third downs. I mean... They averaged 9.9 yards of 10 yards per third down. So they basically did nothing for two downs and then said, oh, now it's time. Maybe we should step up and try to get a first down. Clearly, it's not going to happen that much. You got to get, you know, shortage yard, you know, short yards, get something, build up to actually get third and manageable because clearly they haven't been doing that. And in that loss to Illinois, I mean, I I was so frustrated. I, I don't even tend to get frustrated with sporting events because I there's nothing I can do. I can't control how the team plays. But... Just sitting there watching that game, MSU won that game in every facet of the game other than the score. They doubled Illinois' first down margin. I mean, they had MSU had 28 first downs. Illinois only had 14. And they outpassed. They outrushed. MSU had 175 yards. Illinois had 164 yards rushing. Um, as far as passing the ball goes, uh, MSU had 315 yards, while Illinois only had 140. And... Even in total offense, MSU blew them out of the water by almost 100 yards. Almost 200 yards, I'm sorry. 490 to 304. And MSU fumbled the ball once, that LJ Scott fumble. Um, but penalties were the, such a big killer in that game. I mean, you, you think about the holding calls, the illegal shifts, false starts, pass interference. That pass interference at the end of the game, the back-to-back ones for 30 yards, and that's what eventually gave Illinois the win. I just I can't even fathom that. The, one was such, the first one was such a blatant... He wasn't even looking at, to see if the receiver was going out for a pass. He just pushed him. He yeah. just kept blocking him. And the other one, I mean, you can debate that that was kind of a questionable pass interference call. But it's they've been shooting themselves in the foot the entire season. And this might be the most undisciplined MSU football team I've ever seen. I'm, I'm just waiting. Every game goes on. I'm waiting for somebody to step up, someone to say, you know, it's enough. Someone take control of the team. You know, you think you look to all your captains. They really don't see. I mean, sometimes they're half the problem. So, you know, you're trying to find someone who's going to be the go-getter to do it. And, I mean, clearly it's not O'Connor. Yeah, I I mean, you look at it and you you look at the different guys who were named captains at the start of the season. Tyler O'Connor, he hasn't been able to produce the type of numbers to be a locker room leader. Riley Bolo, same guy. I mean, he was great his first three seasons here and now. I don't know what's happening on the defense. I, I wonder if it's because these guys in this scheme aren't ready for it. The, the sophisticatedness that, or the sophistication that kind of went into it. And you look at it, MSU has always had NFL caliber cornerbacks. They've always had an NFL caliber quarterback. And you don't get that in Tyler O'Connor. You got that with Cook. You got that with Andrew Maxwell. You got that with Kirk Cousins, but Tyler O'Connor just isn't ready for the NFL. And you look at the cornerbacks, Demetrius Cox, I mean, he's good, but he's not anywhere near, he, he can't fit the bill 
to lead the MSU defense the way it was designed to run. And with that going into it, I, I feel like these seniors, are not, they're not necessarily checked out, but it's almost like a sense of senioritis. Like, these guys, there's no sense of direction, and they're just kind of left out to dry right now. Um, and, you know, I, like I said and I watched the game, I feel bad for Malik McDowell because you see, like, you know, he gets frustrated. A lot of people are mad. You know, he kind of takes some dumb penalties every now and then. But, you know, he's frustrated because, you know, there's always a couple people on him blocking him. He doesn't get any help. They don't blitz. They don't blitz nearly enough. I mean, zero sacks against Illinois. You can't, I mean, come on. You can't sit there and tell me that Illinois' offensive line is, you know, stellar. No, not at all. And that offensive line play might have single-handedly cost MSU the game. You talk about the penalties, but the offensive line took it to a new level. Tyler O'Connor couldn't generate anything out of the pocket. He didn't have any time, and there were misplays. And that it was such a sloppy game on the offensive line. It was tough to watch. I mean, that game was on ESPN News for a reason, and it was a battle of the bulge. These two teams were duking it out for their third win of the season. And it, it was just the most, I would say that's probably the most unentertained. That's the most, I don't want to say unpleasing, but that was the worst product I've seen put onto a field in quite some time. That that was like watching one of those cheesy bowls like the the little caesar's pizza bowl like those teams were just so bad it's frustrating and you look at it if this team loses to Rutgers, i mean do you think this proves that they're checked out for the season i mean i think it really shows that that u of m game was kind of their last hurrah i mean yeah there's going to be people i mean they still i would hope if there's any question that some people don't care then don't even dress up for the game because I mean, there's a lot of guys, I mean, a lot of people, especially high school kids, see, you know, a major program like this, or at least, you know, over the past few years, and, you know, they want those spots to fill, and they want to, you know, get up and show out. So it would hurt me to see a bunch of guys go out there and not play their all. I mean, yeah, in the rivalry game, you step up a little more, a little more emotions into it, but clearly once they lost that, it seems that, you know, they kind of know that there's really nothing for the season. I mean, they're not making a bowl game. Oh, no. Not at all. And what I just don't get. These guys, they're trying so hard, and it, it's like you're putting a square peg into a round hole. It just isn't working no matter what they do. And it, it doesn't help that they have a flurry of guys that aren't even dressed for the game that are either out with injuries or you get guys like Jamal Lyles who missed the game for violating team rules. I mean, when your program is in a state like this, I don't get how your team just or how you as a player violate team rules when you're such I mean you're not a starter but you're you're a very instrumental part of what goes into MSU football. Yeah, you play enough. Yeah. You get out there on the field. And then you get guys like Cody Keeler who's out. He's a very important part. That's probably one of the biggest reasons why MSU's offensive line couldn't produce. And then why why was Monty Madaris out? It's just frustrating to see that all of these guys I don't want to sound like a jerk but just watching nine weeks of this, it, it gets tired. It's, it's gruesome. <laughs> and I, I can't imagine being on the inside of the system and what goes into that because it takes a bunch of hard work and it takes a bunch of discipline. And it's just weird to think that a year, not even a calendar year ago, th- this team was en route to a college football playoff. They were en route to play for a national championship game. They were on the course to win the Big Ten. And to just see it all go sour so fast, 
is mind-boggling. Yeah, just to see, I mean, I don't think there'll be 10 or 20 years of all this college football playoff stuff to where you'll see a team make it and crash this bad. Oh, yeah. I mean, because clearly, I mean, well, they just got absolutely obliterated against Alabama. That was probably one of the, I mean, get it. They were clearly the better team. And that was kind of like the first domino to fall. It's almost like it stuck with them, and they haven't been able to do anything ever since. Because you look at MSU's two wins this year, even against Furman and against Notre Dame, those weren't satisfying wins. Oh, Furman wasn't that great at all. I was sitting there watching, and they were carving up runs and different things like that, and I was like, holy cow, like, Please tell me that they're just sitting there thinking we're way better than this team and they're underestimating it. And, you know, you get a little bit of that feeling because, you know, everyone thought Notre Dame would be good or at least, you know, good enough. Turns out they weren't. But, you know, you get that when you're like, okay, well, season's looking up a little bit. And then all of a sudden you hit your stumble and you're like, okay, well, that happened. It stunk. But, you know, let's see how we get back at it. And then, you know, it happens again. And now you got to really reevaluate yourself. And I, I really don't want to say this but if you go around the country and look at other elite programs and I would consider MSU in the past five years to be an elite program to win 11 games five the last six years and everything like that places like LSU Florida State if they were to drop off like this there would be a personnel change and Mark D'Antonio has said time and time again that he trusts his guys and he trusts his system and if action's going to be taken, it's going to be taken after the season. But if they lose to Rutgers, I, I don't see how he has the ground to go behind his word or stay with his word. And I mean, it's the definition of insanity, doing the same thing over and over, expecting a different result. I mean, you're throwing in guys, and look, like the system, clearly the system doesn't work. I mean, that's why they're doing this. I mean, you could, if you wanted, if you really want to just say that the players are that bad to where they can't muster up another win you know, whether it's Illinois or Indiana or something like that. If you really want to say that, you know, they're just not good, that's one thing. But clearly that, you know, they don't get the ball to their playmakers at all. I mean, Josiah Price catches tons and tons of touchdowns. Clearly the guy can play. He's got hands. They don't really use him enough. Donnie Corley, I mean, come on. That one touchdown catch against Notre Dame, like, clearly he's destined to be probably their next, you know, best receiver. And, the, I mean, the receiving core hasn't been, you know, stellar this year. They don't get open enough. I mean, they give R.J., you know, an end around every now and then to see, you know, try to get them into some open space. But, I mean, the whole mentality isn't really working. Clearly they're not getting any push on the offensive line, so that running game has just been stifled. I mean, last year they're sitting there with three running backs who could, you know, go out there and dominate whenever they wanted to because, I mean, the offensive line was a bully. They don't have that anymore. they got to find new creative ways to get the ball in open space and let their playmakers do their jobs. And they're not doing that. They're trying to, you know, have it throw through it. And, look, having – a quarterback be a game manager isn't a bad thing. It's not a death sentence. Just because you're not, you know, Lamar Jackson or Deshaun Watson, you don't have to go out there and do everything. Like, that's fine. You still have capable players. You can still do a lot of things and win a lot of games that way. But they're sitting there and they're just making all the wrong calls all the time. And it just keeps spiraling down. And, you know, clearly they have to make a change in order for something to happen. Yeah, I mean, you look at the it, – it's just been a whole season of conservative offensive play calling. There hasn't been any jazz. There hasn't been any anything that really sticks out to you. And then when they try something, like a little trick play, it just backfires. It's like a, a powder keg that explodes in your face. And, I mean, do you even, do you even pick this team to beat Rutgers? I don't know if you do. I mean, I they haven't shown me can. anything. They haven't shown me anything that they can. Uh, there's been no signs of progress, 
except for the Michigan game, and that was a rivalry game, so I don't even know if you can take stock in that, that they can beat Rutgers because right now you lost to Illinois. You have to reevaluate yourself. You lost to the fight, or yeah, the fighting Illini. I mean, you, you want to put yourself ahead of a team like that, but you can't. And right now your program is at the same level and actually just a notch below because you lost to a 2-7 and seven team and your team actually has a worse record than that. You know, I just hope that they'd have, you know, at the end of the year, clearly the season's basically over, that now it just comes to the whole pride aspect where go out there and at least play and show that you care, especially, you know, for the seniors that gave their time. You know, they really, you know, they got to experience the ups and wow, are they experiencing the downs, you know, coming out of it. And, you know, now's the chance to experiment with different things. I mean, there's nothing to lose anymore. I mean, they're not getting anything out of it unless you want, you know, a moral win, if you even think that's a thing, to go out there, you know, squeak one by Rutgers. I mean, can you celebrate that at all? No. You, mean, I, you, sh- you shouldn't be because that's depressing. If you have to celebrate winning your first Big Ten game, I, that's beyond me. That just shows how much of a failure the season is. And MSU could quite logistically lose out the rest of the Big Ten. And this would be the worst losing percentage ever in Michigan State since I believe 1917 when they lost all a grand games. total of all of their games. They won zero, a big goose egg. And, I, I mean, Mark D'Antoni is going to go down as probably one of the top three coaches in Michigan State history and one of the best coaches in the Big Ten. And to just have this under his belt, I mean, it's a big sucker punch. It was an unexpected one. And I don't think anybody could have seen this coming. But when we come back, uh, we're going to talk about a playoff team that isn't the MSU football team, but it is on campus. And welcome back, everybody. Uh, Finishing up on a Tuesday here. And to take you guys out with a little bit of a bright side, do you guys know that the MSU men's soccer team could be competing for a Big Ten championship title? Uh, the men's soccer team will be playing number one Maryland uh, on Friday. That game is at noon. You can catch all of the coverage here on the state news. Uh, follow us on Twitter at the snooze underscore sports. But, yeah, Maryland comes in t- uh, to that game as the number one overall team in the country. They're 16-0-2 and 7-0-1 in the Big Ten. Um, these two teams actually played briefly um, in the season, and that game, MSU lost in Maryland 2 to nothing. And you know what? If you're going into this game, if you're um, a bona fide soccer fan, then you will you already know who to look for um, on the MSU side of the ball. There's Ryan Sierakowski, the sophomore forward who's been absolutely great this year, um, second in the conference in uh, goals and I believe third in total points. And then you get a guy on Maryland who could be one of the best players in the country, um, Gordon Wild. I, I mean, just look at the sound of that name. That, that dude's unstoppable. He has 15 goals this year um, and five assists for a grand total of 35 points. And, I mean, the dude is just nuts. I, he almost has more points than he does shots. He has 36 shots on goals this year, and he has 35 points. And, I mean, dude... I, I don't know. Um, I, college soccer isn't really um, a mainstream sport by any stretch of the imagination. But this this is a team that 
Damon Rensing, the head soccer coach, um, has really turned things around in the course of a year because last year um, they they lost in the first round against Penn State, um, who they actually beat last week to advance to the semifinals. And it was a team that – it was a drastic difference. Um, you, you get guys like Ken Krolicki and Giuseppe Barone, and they've they've been able to make a huge impact for the soccer team this year. And if they can win, I, I believe – Hell, I mean, the Big Ten title is good as theirs because if you can beat the consensus number one team in the country, then an Indiana team that you'd presumably play on Sunday um, is good, but probably, I mean, you're you're riding off that high, and I, there's no foreseeable thing. If, if MSU wins that game, then I believe the Big Ten title is theirs. And the beautiful thing about soccer is there's a lot of, you know, a lot of different things you can do to try to take players out of it a little more. I mean, if... MSU soccer can really control that possession, you know, slow and methodical, and you just got to give yourself chances in the box. I mean, that's kind of how their goals went last time where, you know, you see them keep swarming into the box, get some shots off, you know, they had some great saves, but, you know, you follow them up. And I think that's the whole mentality is, you know, you got to give yourself those opportunities, um, you know, and t- you got you to gotta take them. You're not going to have all the chances, but if they can really control the ball, you know, swinging into the box, you know, too, you might get a glancing header. And, you know, soccer is a weird game. It takes a lot of odd bounces, kind of like hockey in the puck, too. It's going down, you know, it tips off somebody or it does something, takes a weird hop. And, you know, those are the ones that you're going to have to capitalize on. So if MSU really wants to take that, I mean, that's what they're going to have to do is they're going to have to try to, you know, just be on the right side and put themselves in the right position to make plays. And, I mean, if MSU, I mean, they've MSU is, I, I believe, as an entire athletic program, has always kind of had the MO of being an underdog. And if, I mean, this adds to the underdog fuel that they've compiled quite a bit of wins against ranked teams this year, um, starting off with an exhibition win against then number six Syracuse. They've also compiled wins against a number 12 Southern Methodist, a number, t- number 19 Akron, and number 12 Notre Dame. Um, they've fallen short to Maryland, who was, I believe, number one at the time then, and uh, number 10 Indiana. Um, so the Big Ten is a great conference, and uh, the fact that they're a ranked team right now assures that they're probably going to see um, a bid for the NCAA tournament, which is always assuring. So even if they lose this game, it won't be the end of the season. Um, and, hey, I mean, you can catch that game. That game will be televised on Big Ten Network at noon. Uh, that will be on Friday. So uh, before we wrap the show up, any final thoughts, Connor? Yeah, just uh... – Get out there and vote election day. You know, make your chance to be heard. Uh, a lot of people, you know, even if you don't like it either way, uh, my one rule is if you want to complain about who ends up winning, you had to at least go in there and pitch your idea. If you don't go out and vote and you want to complain about who it is, you don't got to say in it. So go out there and vote. Uh, you know, enjoy your week. Nice out for Michigan. Holy cow. Yeah. I mean, talk about Michigan weather. I mean... <laughs> Uh, you always hear the old saying, "Hey, you don't like the don't like the weather. Just wait ten minutes and it'll change." But it's it's nice to actually be in Michigan for the few times a year where it's actually habitable weather. Um, I mean, I've so far I've had not yet had to go outside and scrape ice off of my car. It's beautiful. That's my least favorite thing to do: is shovel the snow, scrape ice off my car. Yeah, I uh, my my dad. He's really into big into the farmer's almanac and he keeps saying that this winter is going to be a bad one and as long as it's not like the one that was a couple years ago when we set a record for the most snow i that's that's the only thing i care about just don't don't bombard me with snow that's 
<sighs> it was like 10 inches. Then you got a week or it warmed up, and people were like, oh, okay, not as bad. And then 10 inches again, and there was just no end to it. Oh, my goodness. Anyway, uh, remember to check us out on SoundCloud, uh, Snapchat, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all that good stuff. Share us with your friends, your family, your loved ones. And hopefully Stephen will be back. Um, he, he'll probably – he's actually walking into the office right now. He's begging for his job back. Oh, he's, he's getting escorted right now. Oh, my God. Uh, just kidding. Um, anyway, hope you guys have a good afternoon and have a safe and happy election day, everybody. Take care, guys.